0: Today I'd like to talk about vision for others, and, uh, but in order to do that, we have to start with a statement, and the statement is this, our words have power, our words have power, our words have power. What we say out loud matters, and it matters, it not only affects us and our future, It affects the reality of others and how they view themselves and how they go about conducting their life in the real world. Our words matter. I don't know if you were anywhere in America last week, but we discovered that our words matter in entertainment. Uh, Did anyone catch the Oscars? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Patrick caught the Oscars, He's a, uh, yes, and others uh, moaned, uh, we did not, well, um, we got text messages about the Oscars, and there were some things that were said at the Oscars that show that our words matter, because you don't want to get hit you <laughs> in the face. Uh, And there's a lot of, our words matter in entertainment. If you look at, uh, if you consider social media to be entertainment, our words matter what people say about one another uh, on social, uh, how they talk about people, our words matter in the Real Housewives series. Uh, There's a lot of negativity and anxiety around those relationships in that show. And the rise and fall of stars being canceled in public life is based on what they say or what they don't say not only do our words matter in entertainment, our words matter in politics, American politics and geopolitical politics. I don't know if you have been living in the United States for the last five years. But sometimes people who are in elected office would say things that were not so nice about other people. And those people would respond to those people and it was a back and forth. It was not so nice. And you have like a cable news media with pundits that are saying things that that have power over people. Our words have power in our American politics. Also, words have power in our families. Words have power in our families. Uh, Given the pressures of life, spouses can say things to their mate uh, that have weight to them and can affect uh, marriage. And parents can say things to children, and children can say things to parents, and siblings can say things to each other. Our words matter. I think of my father, who grew up in a house where there was a lot of negativity. There was a lot of pain. There was a lot of things said and unsaid. And there was a lot of things that were done and undone that felt what he would call abusive. There was abusiveness in his home. And as he grew up with that, those words mattered because they put on him a belief about himself that he couldn't shake, which kind of molded the way he lived his life. So do you you understand that words matter? The things we say to children... Matter. And we can carry those in a sort of like a a residue in our life that affect us throughout our young adult, into into our 20s, into our 30s. And you can even run into someone who's in their 60s or 70s and they still haven't been able to shake the words that were said to them when they were like 11 years old. It's quite possible that words can drive through all the things we actually know about ourselves into our heart, and they can sink into our heart, and they can do something to us that can impact us so negatively that we never bounce back, like for our whole life. And you've maybe run into people, you've met people, maybe uh, you know people very close, they are affected, and you go, why are they so cynical? Why are they so hurt? Why do they treat people the way they do? Well, a lot of times you can trace it back to what they believe about themselves. And what they believe about themselves is often connected to words that were said to them or words that they believed about themselves that are lies from the pit of hell, that are lies from the enemy, and that can affect them. And so what we want to do today I want to talk to you. I'm going to pray one more time. We're a church. We're going to pray. Um, you know, what I want to do today is I want to talk to you about the power of words as it relates to uh, vision for our church. And, you know, we came out of the pandemic or we're bouncing back, and we're going to do all the things, and it's super fun, but we have a vision for our church. We want to be a social, and cultural, spiritual renewal place for the city. We want to care about our city, but we need to understand, we need to have vision for others with our words, and our words matter, and so we're going to talk about that today, and so I've called today's talk A Vision for Others. I'm going to pray, and uh, let's take a look at those verses that Marie uh, read for us, so pray with me one more time. There's gonna be like three more times that we pray, but I, you know, just, I just wanna, just wanna do uh, pray. So, Holy Spirit, uh, I ask that you would be with us today. I was ask that you would help me to speak as I should. God, I ask that you would uh, give us a vision for others and help us to understand how our words matter. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so if you have a little handout or you want to pull it up on the screen, we have those verses. It's Matthew 6, uh, Matthew 16. And, and so basically, you know, Jesus is going into this region and he's asking, he's asking his disciples, the 12 closest friends. He's like, who do people say that I am? Hey, what's my reputation out there? And basically, they're like, oh, some people say you're Jeremiah and other people say that you're John the Baptist. Other people call you Elijah and, so on. So they're all like, kind of like, you know, saying what they think about him and who they think he is. And then all of a sudden, uh, they go, Well, what about you? He asks, Well, who do you say that I am? And then there's a guy named Simon Peter. And um, um, if you don't know anything about Simon Peter, Simon is, like, really bold. He's always the first one to be like, yo, I'll say something. I'll do something. I'll jump up and do the thing with the thing. And he's always putting his foot in his mouth, and he's, like, kind of, like, just goes for it. He's uh, 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 shooting what's the saying, ready, shoot, aim, right, the saying, right, like he just does things impulsively and before he aims for what he's supposed to do and he says, oh, what about you and uh, Peter, uh, Simon Peter, uh, we're going to talk about that in a minute, um, he, in, a, in a moment of clarity he goes, you're the Messiah, you are the son of the living God and Peter calling Jesus the Messiah is a really big deal because he's saying, you know, I actually see you for who you are. I see that you are not just one of us, that you are God incarnate, which means in the flesh. You are God. You come in human form, and you're here to save us all. You're going to save us all, and I believe that. And then there's this fun response where Jesus replies, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. I tell you that you are Peter. So he gives him a new name. Have you ever given someone a new name? We've given people nicknames. Previous president gave a lot of people nicknames. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And what we see, what we see is that words matter. And the power of Jesus' words come flying through the entire core identity of who Simon thought he was. And Jesus casts massive vision into Peter's life. Massive vision. Here's who you were. Here's who you are. Here's the Peter of the past. The Peter of the past is a fisherman. He goes fishing for money and he puts nets out. And he pulls them in. And then he goes to the market. He's like, hey, who wants a fish? Who wants a fish? And he sells fish. I don't know if he had a sales team. But he was a fisherman. And then he wore his heart on his sleeve. Like I told you, he was always saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. He wore his heart on his sleeve. He was a brash hothead. And even after this instance, what does he do? When Jesus gets betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Peter's like, never. We will fight to the death We will fight to the death, Jesus. We won't let them take you. And like, sure enough, the the equivalent of the police show up to take him in. And he's like, never. And he whips out a sword and he cuts off an ear of one of the soldiers. And then you could just see Jesus over there. Like, Peter, I told you not to do that. And he's like, sorry about him. He's new here. And then he picks up the ear and then he's like sorry about that and he heals him he heals actually heals his ear. So Peter's a hothead, he does whatever's on his mind, he wears his heart on his sleeve, he's a fisherman, but the future of Peter is completely different than Peter's past. Peter is going to go from being a fisherman to running the church that a new spiritual organization that's going to shape the world forever. Peter, you're going to kind of run it for a little bit until you die. You're going to run it. And God is going to partner with you to change the whole globe through you, you fisherman, you hothead, you say all the wrong things. And you know, we're going to give you, Peter, I'm going to give you spiritual authority to accomplish everything that I have planned to do. Wow, what a big difference. And this is important. Our words have power. Up to this point, after Peter says to Jesus, he goes, you're the Messiah. It's not like anything happened, but Peter pronounces and says that you are something new. I am coming into your life and I'm going to do something new through you. Blessed are you. And here's what I'd like to do today. I'd like to call us to adopt the ways of Jesus. And what what Jesus did for Peter is not a one-off thing. What Jesus did for Peter wasn't a one-time deal. Jesus, Jesus, if you start thinking, just think about your own spiritual life. What Jesus did for you, Jesus transforms you and me by the power of his words. And as a result of that transformation, you and I get to speak those words to other people. And we can become vision casters for others. And that's our next point. If you're taking notes, you're writing things down. Uh, God invites each of us to be personal vision casters for others. What does this mean? Well, to the person who feels shame from regrets, from their mistakes, it means that you, where you are, with all your problems, you ...who you are, because of what Jesus has done in you... ...you, that you can communicate to this person who feels shame... ...you can communicate that his future is still unwritten... ...that there's hope for him. And if you know a single mother who's down on her luck... ...and uh, you can begin to sow vision with this person... ...you can actually say, hey listen... ...there are no social predeterminisms for those who are in Christ Jesus... Um, I wouldn't walk up to a single mom and say that exactly, but you get what I'm saying. That there are no predeterminisms. That you do not, not, you are not set, there is no caste system here for those who are in Christ Jesus that I believe in you, I can stand with you, I can help you, I can move things along. To the timid person that doesn't know if they have what it takes to fill the role, you can jump in and you can say, I see you. I see you for who you are. I see you for who you aren't. I see you for who you could be. And you You can do this I see you and that's all Jesus is doing with Peter and that's all Peter did with his friends and his disciples and the people he discipled and we're a part of a long lineage of that happening again and again think about the people in your life there are people who have casted vision into your life and they said I see you I see who you are and who you aren't and what you could be and by God's grace what you will be And you are not here on your own. You stand on the shoulders of giants and people that stood up for you and looked at you and said, I see what's there. And you can do the same thing with others. And we can break the cycle of negativity. We can break the cycle of anxiety that permeates our world simply by using our words and speaking the vision that God gives for us for others. I believe that you can do that. So what does it look like? Well, I'm going to give you four ways that, it, the ways that, that we see in this, these verses with Jesus and four ways that we've seen God do this throughout the Bible and how we've seen it work with disciples, with other disciples. I'm going to give you four simple ways about personal vision casting. Personal vision casting. You ready? Number one. Number one is I see you. I see you. What does this mean? Well, you observe the person and you tell them what you see. You say you try to get to know them. You try to watch what they do. You watch what they do well. You watch what they don't do well. And the best vision casters, they look into the soul of a person, if that's possible. They look at a person for who they are, and they say, I see you, and it's my job to do my best to bring that out of you. And that's it. And I got to tell you, I don't think that happens that often, guys. I know you think everyone's doing it and you don't have to do it. What seems obvious to you and the people in your life maybe isn't obvious to them, okay? Like, we have to say these things. And so, I mean, maybe Jesus could have been with Peter, like, well, this is obvious that, you, you know, uh, you're awesome. Uh, but Jesus didn't leave any room for misinterpretation. He tells him, he tells him, and that's what we do. We walk across the room and we go, I see you. I and I again don't start with the sentence. I see. You. I, I'm giving you a. I'm giving you a principle here. Uh, you know, I, if you're at a bar and you walk across the room, and you go, I see you. That's going to go poorly for you. <laughs> and also, so just treat it, this place like a bar in the most uh, holy way. Like don't walk across the courtyard. I see you. You know that's not going to work. But you see when you, you're saying you, what you're saying is I see. Here's what I see in you. You know. You know um, people did that with me uh, years ago. And they, uh, I'm getting older now, so it happens less and less. But when I was younger, it happened more. But I had less confidence then. Uh, And yeah, so that's the first one. I see you. The second one is I'm present with you. Uh, This one is the one Americans struggle with the most, probably the one I struggle with the most. And presence, what is presence? Presence is that settledness, that settledness that we have in our lives, where our minds aren't a hundred different places at the same time. Um, so we launched in 2018, met for a year and a half, got shut down for a year and a half, and now we've been at it for six months. Yeah. Uh, but before that, in 2016, I finally made the announcement uh, to my the church that I was a part of. I, I called some of the folks that were working there on pastoral staff, large church. It was like 8,000 people. Um, so there's like a staff of 300 or something. So the people I were calling, like it's just some middle management people but uh, I called them and I, we finally made the decision we're in LA hey we're going to work and we're going to plant this church and uh, I remember distinctly talking to this one pastor and I'm like I've, I've like I know this was wrestling we've been wrestling it with for years but we think this is what the Lord has for us we have a vision for the city and for people we're going to go for it and I started talking about it and all I could hear is her responding to emails and typing on her keyboard the whole time and um, I know. Should I give you her email? Do you want to email her? No, don't do that. <laughs> hey, <laughs> but like, there was, there was something wrong with that. I was getting mad, and I'm like, yeah. And like, the Lord just spoke to me, and I was crying, and all these people came around me and prayed and confirmed, and all I hear is. And you know, that was there. She wasn't present with me, and you know. I'm like you. I think I'm important in those conversations, and I deserve the respect that I feel like I deserve, and you do too. Um, if you ever call me, I will never be on my, on my thing. Uh, so anyway, but honestly, you can say whatever you want to people, and if you're not present when you're saying it, they're never going to listen to you. They're never going to hear what you have to say, and you're going to undermine the vision that you're trying to cast for them right? So you can go into a room and you can say, I see this. And then if you're like all distracted with anything, you will not be, uh, you know, you will not communicate what you need to communicate, right? And it just doesn't, it's not, doesn't mean you're just distracted in your phone. It's that deep level distractedness too that will come through. It means that you have to get settled on the deeper level and you have to learn to show up on the deeper level. Yes, phones are a distraction. Yes. Uh, streaming services are a distraction, and you, you could leave here and you could go, yeah, I'm just going to spend like 10 minutes less on my phone, and that'll be good. No, there's something, there's kind of like, there's like anxiety that exists, acute like anxiety, like, oh, no, my kid is running in the street. i got to pull them out of the street so they don't get run over. But then there's also this chronic anxiety. It's like a low-level hum that happens in the back of our life. That's what I'm kind of getting at here. There's something, there are things that can happen in our life. There are constant levels of anxiety and stress Uh, that can keep us distracted and unless we really learn to address those things in the subterranean levels of our heart you're going to show up distracted and the only way I know how to do this the only way we as a church have tried to help you know how to do this is that you need to come to a place where you go before God and you give him your burdens. Uh, it says, cast all your care." the Bible says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And there's this place where we have to get to with God where we say, God, I need to get settled on this issue if I'm going to be present for other people. Um, even if you don't want to be a vision caster, getting settled on your low level anxiety is probably good anyway. Okay, so um, third one, I'm for you. I'm for you. Uh, And then I bless you. But I'll talk about I'm for you. Um, Being for someone does not mean you have to affirm their sinful choices. Being for someone doesn't mean you have to affirm all of their unwise choices. And being for someone doesn't mean that the person you're trying to affirm gets to set all the rules by which you affirm them. Okay? Okay? You don't have to affirm sin, you don't have to affirm their unwise choices, and you don't have to just agree with all the terms by which they determine they need to be affirmed. Let me give you an example. Uh, We have a daughter, and her name is Maren. It's a Danish variant for Maria uh, Mary. And uh, Maren, we're for Maren. Like, we're big fans, and we go to her soccer games, and we, you know, make sure she succeeds at school, and uh, thanks to some of you, she raised a bunch of money this past week uh, for her uh, s- something for the school that helps the kids with the thing. and uh, <laughs> it's better than magazines, and it's the thing with the thing, and I'm sure the kids are going to learn, so you know whatever. And um, you know and, and like it, you know again, we don't walk up to Marin every day and look her in the eyes and go, "I'm for you." Like she's not going to get that, right, but we're for her. We want what's best for her. But sometimes when we're wanting the best for Marin, she doesn't see it as the best for her. Why can't I eat chocolate around the clock? Why can't I stay up around the clock? And for me to go, no, we're not going to affirm that unwise choice. But we're still for her. We're still on her team. We're still rooting for her. And sometimes being for someone means you're standing up for what's right for the person, even if that person can't see it. But you're in their corner emotionally and spiritually and physically and sometimes and mentally. You know, I know, for example, I know you're working through some hard things. I know you're working through a hard time right now. Uh, And I know that, uh, you know, I believe that God has a vision for your marriage. Uh, I'm with you. I'm for you. You know, I know you're walking through a hard time at work. And I know that what your boss is doing is not fair. Yeah, you, know, you do need to kind of work harder here or there, or you need to fix this or that, but I'm with you. I am for you. I'm for you. Again, don't walk into rooms and say, I'm for you, or I see you, or all these things. These are the principles by which you need to kind of figure out what to say to people. That are for you. I'm for you. And then lastly, I bless you. I bless you. You know, what is blessing? And we see Jesus do this with Peter, and we do this all over all the time. We bless people as a church. We speak God's favor and we speak God's protection over people. We speak new vision into their lives. And I just know, um, with all these thousands of people here today, there's just some people that maybe... Some terrible things have been said to you. Uh, and you know, people in your life, some terrible things have been said to them. Sometimes the pain and the wounding that we experience from words can last a lifetime. And I mentioned that earlier. And what we see, what we see is that it doesn't matter. That through you, Jesus wants to speak new words and blessing into people's lives. It doesn't matter if your dad called you stupid. There is new hope for you. There is a new name for you. There's something for you. that you. Could, there's new life for you. It doesn't matter if you believe you're damaged goods or you were told that you're damaged goods. God wants to speak a new name over you. And it doesn't matter if kids or people, your peers teased you, that, you know, about whatever, whatever. This is what God says about you today. And I believe that's true for you, that some, some people here today, God wants to speak something new to you. But I also believe that God wants to use you to speak new things over people. We pray for people. We pray blessing for them. We pray that God would give them a new vision for their future. And this is really important. And I'm going to circle back to uh, my dad's story at the beginning. Remember when I talked about my dad at the beginning and he, like, had experienced some things? Do you guys remember that far back? It was, like, 20 minutes ago. So he um, he experienced these things in his childhood with his family, in his family system. And, um, you know, he comes to faith in Christ, and he's like, I should go find a church with my mom. And uh, some of you have heard this, and uh, he... Uh, he goes to a church that he had went to a few times when he was in third grade. And he walks through the door, and it's the same senior pastor that was there when he was in third grade. My dad was a grown man, so the guy had been there for a while. And he walks through the door, and he goes up to the pastor. The guy's name is Donald Schaefer. And uh, he says to Donald Schaefer, you call him Pastor Schaefer. You know, Pastor Schaefer, my name is Chris Meekins. His name is also Chris Meekins. And uh, he goes, hi, I'm Chris Meekins. I'm new here. And uh, the story goes that uh, Pastor Schaefer says back to him, he goes, Chris Meekins, yes, I know you. I know your family. Welcome home. And that was it. Now, does that seem insignificant? It should. I know you. I know your family. Welcome home. But what that did for my dad and his new bride, that they barely knew Jesus, It was a powerful word that came in from the Lord, and it radically changed the system of my family and everything about my future. I stand here today as somebody whose family was radically transformed by the local body of the church because some guy goes, hey, welcome home. Is is there a lot of onions in here? I gotta remind, Siri, remind me to wash my iPad. There's onions in it. So misty. Well, what's the deal? What? what are we, like, so, like, this, this pastor spoke new vision by saying, welcome home. And then he proceeded over the next 20 years to personally disciple my dad and speak new life. No, you're not this, you're this. This is what it means. I believe in you. I'm for you. I see you. Hey, why don't you step into this role? Let's give you a chance. Let's have you do this. Hey, why don't you be an elder? Hey, uh, Joyce, my, that's my mom's name. You don't hear that. Not, a long, not only young children are being named Joyce anymore. <laughs> it's a name from the past. Hey, Joyce, <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't one of the top baby names last year. <laughs> Let's say that. So, hey, Joyce, you know, why don't you st- come on staff? And my mom became a pastor and, uh, and these are, these are people that had no faith background. I see you, I believe in you, I'm for you, I'm present with you, I bless you. Uh, so it starts there and it keeps going. And so I'm standing here today I'm standing here today, relaunching a church for the second time. Why would I do that after all this pain of, of COVID and being afraid to be in rooms with people? Why would I believe in this? Why would my family make sacrifices? Why would our leaders who've been with us from the beginning and people who helped us long? Why would they continue to start this again and do it again? Because we believe that this thing works. That the local church is the hope of the world by the power of Jesus. And what makes this room powerful is that we actually take a risk and we walk across the room and we say to someone, I see you, I I bless you, I believe in you, I'm for you, let's go. What do I got to do to help you get to the next level? And that's who we're going to be as a church. And, you know, we're we're a startup. We're starting up again, and we're going to have to find appropriate ways to translate what I'm saying to how we interact in our community groups, how we interact at the parties that we throw, when we go out to the courtyard for the 15 minutes to eat the extra donut, uh, or when we stay for tacos in a couple weeks. How we communicate to each other matters. And here's why this matters. You know, it's been said uh, that, you know, size doesn't matter when it comes to things, especially when it comes to church and it being a church body and a church community. Because if we, if we, the people of God, were to actually be vision casters for others and say, I see you, I bless you, I'm for you. If you were to do that, if I was to do that, commit to do that with one person per day for like the next 30 days, that's massive release and massive impact, where we're joining up with what God wants to do in a person, that could have a massive multiplicative impact. Like, you don't need to be a large congregation to have a massive impact. When you leave here, you can say what you need to say to people, and then you trust that God's going to do something in them. So you, I see you, each of you. Some of you, You're newer, some of you are older, but I see you and I release in you by the power of Jesus the ability to speak life and vision in other people. You can do it. I believe in you. And if you don't believe in yourself, come see me. I'll make sure that you know that I believe in you. But more importantly, more importantly than me, a beautiful man up here believes in you. There is the one who believes in us and has believed in us from the beginning who came before us and took on death and destruction and was tormented for in our place for our sins and proved that he was victorious over death and all the things by rising from the dead just to say to you by the power of his spirit, I believe in you and I'm with you and I'm for you. Amen? Why don't you stand up? One of the things that we do uh, here is that we pray for one another. If you want to be prayed, but for and if you don't want to pray, then don't do it. Just stay in your seat. But the way we try to do this is we invite people to respond uh, to what God's doing. And so I'm going to be up here. I can pray with you. I'm going to invite two uh, groups forward. But before I do, I'm going to wait. Um, I'm going to wait on God. And what were we doing when we're waiting? This is a little bit of a clinic here. When we wait on God. We know that his presence is already with us because in our theology, what we teach is that God is everywhere. But sometimes we're not aware of what he's doing. And so when I say, come Holy Spirit, it's not like he was in that corner and now he's over in this corner. What it means, what it means is that we're asking God for his manifest presence. We're asking to experience him. In God, uh, we're the ones with the blinder problem. Increase our awareness of your Spirit. So, uh, we're going to do that, and then I'm going to invite some people to respond, and I want some of the people, our leaders, to pray with these people if they come forward. All right? Uh, So, Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. And we say, God, you are the ultimate vision caster. And even right now, God, I know that you're speaking uh, to people, you're casting new vision, what you believe about them. I pray right now that you would silence the voice of the enemy who would speak lies over people. We break any lies that people have believed about themselves in the name of Jesus. God loves you. He is for you. He is with you. He sees you. We speak that over you in the name of Jesus. We welcome you here.